Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It is a sad, sad day, my friends. <laughs> Someone has passed on from us. It, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just love this card. We said we mentioned it every single episode, and turns out we, we, we haven't mentioned it recently. I cannot help but feel partially responsible. I hope we're personally responsible because I'm actually ecstatic. <laughs> it, it, it's a good change. It's a yeah. good thing. Um, it's like it's like a world war is being fought, and we finally took down a dictator in a in a in a land filled with oceans and forests and mountains and mountains. Yeah. So if you have not heard, there's been some big announcements by the EDH Rules Committee. Yep. And our good good friend. The prophet of Crufix is no more. Yeah, she was a lovely lady, and uh, you know what? It's about time. There's other cards that I'm sure people will be crying about, like Mr. Data Navigator, but you know what? It's time for the prophet to go. Yep, I hate to say it, but she is of a bannable power level, and they finally banned her. Yeah. Um, so anybody with a deck that has blue and green in it, we got to go replace all those profits because I'm sure every one of those decks has a profit of Crufix in it. Yeah, the card has actually never been expensive. And the thing is, you know what? I just get to put a Signet in there instead and get some extra ramp. I'm down. I'm putting that new Endbringer in. Well, maybe not in every deck, but I just want to put that Endbringer in as many decks as possible. So yeah. I'm just, I'll just throw that in there, and I'm assuming it will work with whatever that deck is doing. <laughs> yeah, here's, <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah, if you want to repeat the kind of ability that the Prophet of Crufix does, you have Seedborn Muse to throw, and you have the Endbringer, which is that brand-new rare, and you also have uh, a spot for pretty much anything. You know, Fidalcan Orrery is another good one. Orrery is actually an excellent one. It gets, it's definitely not bannable, but it has similar power-level abilities. Um, so, yeah, there were three big announcements from the EDH Commander Rules Committee, the official committee, the RC itself, run by Sheldon Menery. And the Prophet of Crufix is the one that everyone, I think, ha- is talking about the most because the other two are, fortunately, not controversial. Yeah, I, I mean, the one's a little bit confusing, so it's going to be good that we're going to be able to elaborate on it, but I don't think many people are 
sort of up in arms about it. I mean, there are a few people, obviously, that don't like change of any kind. I, I think you and I are both on the side that all three of these changes seem fine and reasonable. Yeah, it's uh, they're, they're not changes per se. They're more, I think, refinements of what the, uh, the rules have already established, which I'm always in favor of uh, because you're sort of sharpening the blade and making sure that the game is cleaner for everyone that's playing. That's a really good way to put it. And actually, just a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the possibility of um, them sort of taking out the ability to use off-color fetches, I think we said that, you know, the way that the game of Magic will play the best is with the least amount of rules. And what they've actually done is just removed two rules. Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah, I think that's a great way in general to change of format is actually not to be additive, to, but to be subtractive. So you're taking away complications instead of adding more new ones. So I, I like that they did that. Um, really quick before we get into the changes, we should say that it's Monday. So our audio may sound a little bit different because we had to come on and, and talk about this this breaking news. But that's why this is before the intro. And this is also uh, because the rest of the show that you're going to hear after we're done talking about this was actually recorded on Thursday. Yep. So you're going to have to listen to a regular, boring, old show after we talk about all this hot new news. And also, <laughs> we're not going to go back through what we already recorded and sort of edit anything out that isn't uh, doesn't make sense now because of these rule changes. So just take that in mind. I'm not. I don't think we did uh, talk about anything that would contradict what yeah. we now know. But if we did, please forgive us. Uh. It's going to be interesting, too, because a lot of our episodes do mention the Prophet of Crufix, as she is our commander favorite. She's sort of one of our pet pet favorites, yeah, that we talked about all the time, uh, which is another reason why she probably should go. Should go. You know, if, if a card <laughs> is so powerful that you just find yourself constantly talking about it, you know, when you're just talking about the format, then it may be one of those cards that's too powerful. So you want to get into it? Let's get into it. All right. Yeah, let's start with the mulligan rules. So we actually touched on this a little bit because one of the things that uh, Sheldon had been on the record, or uh, he may have been off the record and somebody just sort of put him on the record. Certainly, but anyway. yeah. <laughs> Which has actually been a recurring trend in Magic, guys. Stop posting private emails and stuff. It's bizarre. Why are you doing that? It's a violation of privacy. Yeah, it was like a text message or a Facebook conversation. But anyway, it came out that uh, Sheldon and the Rules Committee were taking a hard look at mulligans and the mulligan rules. And so they made an official announcement. The commander-specific mulligan rules are removed. Which yeah. just means that we, as a commander uh, community, the official rule is now the same as the official m- rules from all of Magic, which is what we're calling the Vancouver Mulligan rule. Yep. Uh, Vancouver Mulligan, uh, however, there is a small addition to this. So if you guys do not know, you begin with a hand of seven. If you don't like it, you mulligan down to a hand of six, and then you're allowed to scry one if you decide to keep that hand. So scrying is looking at the top card of your library and deciding to put it on top or on the bottom. Uh, however, because this is also a multiplayer game, and those of you that played the Oath of the Gatewatch uh, pre-release will know this, the Vancouver Mulligan changes just slightly in that you get a free Mulligan at the beginning, and that will apply to Commander as well. Right, so if you played the two-headed giant, because it's more than one-on-one, it's two-on-two. And if you play Conspiracy Draft, you'll know this also. Any multiplayer format of Magic, the official mulligan rule is that your first mulligan is free, quote-unquote, so you discard your seven hands, or you put your seven uh, cards aside and you draw a new seven, and and then if you don't like that, you go down to six. And then the Vancouver part of the mulligan rule states if your starting hand size is less than, or, or... Sorry, if you're holding less than your starting hand size, is that the wording? I think it's similar to that. So yeah, if you mold to six, five, four, three, two, one. If you have six hand, six cards or less in your starting hand, then you get to scry one. But that's after you've decided 
if you're going to keep or not. So basically, in our format, that means mulligan once to seven, mulligan a second time to six. Now, if I keep that, I get to scry one. Yeah. If I go to five, I also get to scry one. One thing Sheldon also mentioned is the option to not shuffle your hand that you're mulliganing back into your library before drawing a new seven cards. Uh, we're not actually sure how this changes uh, the mulligans because you're actually drawing from a smaller deck size every single time you do this. Because it is all random, I don't actually know if the math has been done to figure out whether or not this is an effective way to do it just to save time or if it actually affects what kind of cards you're drawing from your deck because you're drawing from a smaller deck size. But the rules committee did do some math. And they stated that they actually they had some data now i don't know exactly where these numbers come from they talk about computer simulations which for the rules committee is kind of a big step um <laughs> they said that it was basically a three percent difference between partial paris and the vancouver multiplayer mulligan so and they just defined successful as getting a fourth land on turn four so they thought that just the streamlined having the same mulligan rules as the rest of magic was worth that three percent which seems reasonable again. Yeah. And I will say there are some people, because uh, obviously we threw this out on Twitter just to get people's responses. And there are some people a little bit not in favor of the mulligan rule. And, you know, I just said, and I think this is true. If you don't like the new mulligan rule, there's absolutely, and your, and your play group is, you know, using the mulligan rule, whatever you're doing right now, you can just keep doing it. There's no reason not to. Yeah. Again, we're, this is a kitchen table game. This is a, a playing at a friend's house game. And, uh, and sometimes at LGS, if you found that the partial Paris has been fine and everyone is sort of in favor of it, go for it. But I would also recommend just trying the Vancouver Mulligan and seeing it for a few times because there's no reason not to. It's how magic does it. And if we are going to be sort of slowly merging these two rules together, I think it's, I think it's pretty reasonable. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I, I imagine that our playgroup will probably continue to partial Paris, and but when we go to an LGS in play or a Grand Prix in play or any place where we're playing with sort of a mixed group of people we may or may not know well, in that case, the assumption will be that it's the multiplayer Vancouver Mulligan, and, and just be aware of that is all I would say. Yeah, so that is the uh, commander-specific Mulligan removals being Mulligan removals, Mulligan rules being removed. The uh, second big change is rule number four, uh, the mana generation restriction is also removed. So we actually just talked about this, and because we were talking about colorless cards, how that if, let's say, you were playing a blue-green deck and you wanted to play uh, a colorless card in one of the new sets that requires a colorless mana... The diamond mana. You could actually tap something like a City of Brass for a color outside of your commander's color, and it would generate colorless mana because you are not allowed to make mana of another color that's outside of your commander's colors. That rule is now gone. Yeah, and in fact, the rule that they removed is just the entire rule about not being allowed to generate mana of a color outside your general's color identity. So if you're in a, like you said, blue-green deck, and for some reason you want to add red mana to your mana pool, before the rules just said you could never do that. Now if you add something like a Birds of Paradise, which taps for a mana of any color... You could tap to add red if you want to, and then red will actually stay in your mana pool. Now, if you don't have a card that uses red mana, it won't matter, and you're still not allowed to put cards in your deck that require red mana. So it doesn't change you know, the restriction of color identity. And I think people are getting a little mixed up here. We've had a number of people ask about it online. So color identity means cards in your deck cannot have the mana symbols in their either casting cost or in their text box that are outside of your general's color identity. So again, if you're playing blue-green, you just can't have a card in your deck that has a red mana symbol 
that includes a mountain. You can't put mountains in your deck. Correct. You know, and, but before you couldn't even generate red mana if you felt like it. But now you you technically can, and it'll stay in your mana pool. So it's a it's a change. It feels like specifically aimed at colorless mana, and the diamond mana, but it does have some other far-reaching effects for some other uh, mechanics and cards that maybe were a little bit nerfed by this rule to begin with. Send Triplets is a very good example. This card that lets you play cards out of your opponent's hands. Uh, a lot of decks also love to clone cards or steal cards from other people, and oftentimes that's how you can get a card that has a different color, mana, cost, and identity in within your possession so send triplets before you couldn't actually tap outside of that color for the send triplets colors uh to cast a spell in someone else's hand so if you're playing a mono red player the deck is just not as good against them uh, unless you're able to take a lot of their artifacts that is now different because now you can have lands that tap for all manas in your deck and be able to cast those cards out of other people's hands right anything that says uh you know, like Birds of Paradise, City of Brass, things that say you can tap this for a mana of any color. You still can't put, like, a signet in your deck that taps for a mana outside of your general's uh, color identity because, again, it has the mana symbol in it. But those things that don't have the mana symbol and and refer to colors in other ways, like wording-wise, then those are still kind of okay. Send Triplets is a good one. Cards like Sunburst that care about and Converge that care about, like, how many colors of mana were spent on the thing and then it has a different effect those are going to be a lot better in green decks now maybe you know they probably weren't playable before unless you were a five color deck and uh, now they probably are if you have a lot of birds of paradise type stuff yeah i'm actually i kind of want to build a send triplets deck now that this has been nerfed because uh i really like that card yeah it feels like send triplets was the really big winner from today's um new announcement that card gets uh, a lot better so are we sending the send triplets three boosters in the mail, or do we have to send them nine because there's three of them? Yeah, I think a fat pack is in order. Oh, geez. They really won big. <laughs> big winner. Big send winner. triplets. Bing. Bing. All right. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to touch on with these rules? It seems like we covered the basics of it. Obviously, there's going to be more things coming out in the coming days and weeks as people figure out little interactions that they can pull off now that they couldn't before. Yeah, and I think that's going to be fun. Um, I think it also rewards deck builders that want to do be more Johnny-ish about something because it feels kind of combo-y to have a land in your deck that does something that at at once felt you know incorrect, but now it's just like, oh, I can do this. There's no reason I can't. Yep, I agree. It will be interesting to see how much this or how much harder this makes the new colorless diamond mana cards to play. Uh, if it has any effect at all. It's a good time for them to be doing it because it would have been a lot worse if we got used to, you know, playing those cards in a certain way. And then, you know, they decided in three or four months to change it. It's better for them to do it now before everybody's put those cards into their deck. Yeah, and it seems like a good response to the fact that we've had diamond mana introduced as colorless mana. Sorry, we keep calling it diamond, but yeah, colorless mana as sort of the, as I call it, the fifth and a half color. I'm going to keep calling it diamond mana sometimes because I Me think too. that sounds cool. It does sound cool, and it's really easy to visualize because diamonds are clear, thus colorless. Dang. And they're forever. I yes. don't know. That's what marketing tells me. <laughs> I would hope they're forever. They sure they certainly cost enough. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's time to go on to your regularly scheduled programming. All right, and we'll see you guys across the uh, the intro in a sec. <laughs> 
Oh, and one last thing before we start the episode, if you guys didn't already know, Kitchen Table Fables are here. The videos that Josh and I have been working on are finally out on our YouTube channel. There are two short skits, one on our channel and one on the professor's channel, Tolarian Community College, and we are super proud to show them to the world. Please, if you guys have a chance, pause this podcast. If you can, go to youtube.com slash the command zone podcast, and you'll find the first episode, the Flickr, and then in the more info box below, it'll link you to the professor's Fester's page where you can watch the second episode, Permission. We're really proud of the work we've done. We think you guys will find it hilarious. Take a second to check it out right now, youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. Let us know what you think with Twitter, email, or by leaving a comment. We would love to hear from you guys. All right, now let's get on to the episode. Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to the Command Zone. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. You made sure not to mess up today. What was that song? Um, I think it's like... I thought you were going to do Bowie. Yeah, rest in peace, David Bowie. Yeah. You could have done. You know what my favorite Babe Boy song is? <laughs> it's You Remind Me of the Babe. <laughs> the Babe with the Power. What the babe power, with the, what the power, power of Voodoo. Voodoo. <laughs> you do. What? Remind me of the Babe. How do you know all the words? Because, man, I watched that movie like a thousand times when I was a kid. Why? I've seen that movie twice and it was one too many. Labyrinth is so good. That movie is so freaking good. Voodoo. Voodoo. Oh my you gosh. Do. What? Remind me of the Babe. <laughs> yep. He's literally singing to a baby that entire time. Yeah. Yeah, it's that movie is that movie is genius. You need to watch it again. That movie is incredible. The puppetry is incredible. It might just be because every time I watch it, I literally turn into an eight-year-old. Yeah, uh, David Bowie's codpiece also is incredibly impressive in that movie. Yeah, he's just an impressive guy. It's it's pretty sad. Have you ever seen The Prestige? Oh yeah, he played Nikola Tesla yep. in that movie, and that was awesome. It was great to see him. He's also in Extras with Ricky Gervais, where he just absolutely shuts him down. Oh yeah, scene. he's awesome in that <laughs> Extras episode. Actually, yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, hey, everyone, how's it going? Um, uh, thank you all for the great comments and feedback on our Oath of the Gatewatch set review. Today, we have three sort of mini topics that we're going to talk about, uh, starting with cards that we may have overlooked or just didn't see because they weren't spoiled of our Oath of the Gatewatch set review, and uh, then two hot topics, very hot topics. Two current topics? Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, proxying, counterfeits, uh, and some recent statements that were either made or just kind of got, came out that Wizards made and people are sort of up in arms about. It, it's another quote-unquote controversy. Here we are. It's not hard to make a controversy in the Magic community. Uh, it's almost as easy as raising your hand and screaming judge loudly when something doesn't go your way <laughs> at a tournament. Uh, not to decry the fact that a lot of these concerns are, of course, valid, but... Uh, well, and we wouldn't exist without things to discuss, so we shouldn't yeah, complain. Exactly. Uh, and the last topic, we'll be sort of revisiting the leaks. We didn't really talk about the whole judges suspension fiasco that happened mm-hmm. while we were on um, hiatus. Yeah. So we'll get into that because, well, there were some new developments in the those cases, as it were. Yeah. So uh, we'll be talking a lot about Wizards of the Coast today, which is good because, you know, they make the game that we love and enjoy. And even though these are sort of tangentially related to Commander and EDH, they will actually have an effect on us, the player, I think, in the long term, more than you might initially expect. But first. But first. But first, 
it's that time of year. I think we did this at the same time last year. Really? Yeah. It's a cyclical. cyclical. It's a cyclical thing. We've been around long enough that we can be cyclical now. Nice. Uh, iTunes reviews. Hey. We're asking all of you, even if you watch us on YouTube and you don't watch it or listen to us on iTunes or or another podcast Mm -hmm. app, we would love it if you could go to iTunes, log in, and give us a favorable review. It really does help the show. It helps us get on the sort of top lists of the top podcasts. It also helps us when we're going out to Wizards of the Coast or mm-hmm. other places to ask for product to give away or to do an interview with so-and-so. It's just a very good thing for the show. You know, we've been really hesitant to do things like a Patreon or anything like that that a lot of shows do. Yeah. And the only thing we really ask is that you help us out in realms like this where you can, which is give us good reviews, you know, get the word out there about the show. Yeah, it basically helps boost every part of the show and make it bigger and better. Um, you know, that's not to say we may never think about doing something like Patreon or stuff in the future, but right now, this is the easiest way to really support the show, and it takes nothing out of your pocket, nothing out of your day outside of just a couple of minutes. Just open iTunes. You can search directly in the iTunes store. If you look up the command zone, scroll down to podcast episodes. You'll find the podcast, and then you can go ahead and uh, give it, drop it, a, drop it a hot rating. Right now, we have two hundred and twenty ratings, and a, a big shout out to Wizard Luke who posted one December 29th. And uh, the title of the review is "I Can't Stop Talking About This Show." Wizard Luke, I just decided to give you something. I don't know <laughs> what, but it's awesome that you did that. So that's another benefit of giving us an iTunes review, Wizard Luke. You need to send in your mailing address to commandcast at rocketjump.com and I'm just going to grab some packs off the shelf or whatever and we're going to send them your way. So Yeah. And who knows, maybe someone that leaves an iTunes review may receive some booster packs in the mail the next time we have a show. It's something we like to do in general is just like when we give away prizes, we'll just pick one of our social medias like Twitter or Mm -hmm. the comment section on rocketjump.com or something like that and just randomly pick somebody on that list and give them stuff. So it's a good idea not just to help us out, but also to be entered to win cool stuff. Yeah, look, it's we want to reward the people that obviously have shown that they are fans of the show and support the show because, without again, without you guys, we cannot do the show. And just like without Wizards, we cannot play the game of Magic. So uh, it all goes around. It's wonderful. It's the circle of life. It's the cyclical cycle of life. There are five cards in this set, the cycle of life. Oh, that's too low. <laughs> I can't go that low, man. I, Sorry. That, I may have hurt my voice doing that. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, so let's move on to topic number one, Oath of the Gatewatch, what we missed. So again, we did the set review last week, and a few of the cards had not been spoiled yet, uh, some key uncommons. And also, we looked at some of the comments t- uh, today and yesterday on YouTube and on Twitter, and we have some cards that we want to talk about. The first up is General... Tazri, uh, we like usual, and someone pointed this out. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, our own sort of thing. Now we we got the gender of General Tazri wrong. General Tazri is a lady. Whoa, whoa, whoa! She's a lady. That's it. That's it. She's I was speechless there for a second. <laughs> yeah, we just always get the gender wrong. I, I don't know. If I, it's a girl, we call it a guy. If it's a guy, we call it a girl. But you know, I think props to Wizards and the artists for not making it so blatantly a girl. Because like General Tazri, like from a distance, it, looks you can't really tell. Yeah. Exactly. And then when you zoom in, you're like, oh, you can see sort of bits on the armor and stuff. It's not like Japanese RPG status where the armor is literally a <laughs> bikini and covers half the body. Um, yeah. Not to say every JRPG does that, but you know what I mean. Uh, the other thing we 
I, I think we got this right. Yeah, but we, we did. We, we were in we question. We talked ourselves into the correct answer, which is a good way to go, I guess, was Reflector Mage. So we had discussed whether or not if you flickered or blinked Reflector Mage and bounced two things back to uh, your opponent's hand, if both of them wouldn't be able to be cast uh, until your next turn. And the answer is yes. The text of the text actually reads... Uh, when Reflector Mage enters the battlefield, target return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. That creature's owner can't cast spells with the same name as that creature until your next turn. Yep. So that text is actually not tied to the card; it's tied to the trigger. Yeah. So which is sort of just an ongoing effect on Modo. It would have like an additional italicized line, which is cannot be cast. So it's sort of meddling mages or nevermores the thing until your next turn. Uh, but if you again, if you blink the Reflector Mage with Brago or Miss Meadow Witch or the Eldrazi Rune. Displacer, the new one, yep. or Dead Eye Navigator, uh, you could make it so there's multiple things they can't cast uh, the next turn. Yeah. By the way, uh, just talking about this card more with other people, it is incredibly powerful. This card is insane. Yeah, this is real. I mean, the fact that, okay, like, you take a turn every four turns in Commander, and you can't cast a Commander for that turn, or whatever creature it is, holy moly. I mean, people, I think, have a misestimation about how many turns a game of Commander goes. Yeah. Because it feels like, oh, I get 30 or 40 turns. You don't. Most Mm -hmm. games are, like, 12 turns. Yeah. You know, maybe 14. Very few games go above 20 turns. So if you can Reflector Mage their commander like two times that might just be like turn nine to turn 12 they just yep. can't play their commander so they cannot win and that's those are the turns where the games are usually won yeah in that case they're they're gonna have to try and cheat it out so something like a uh quick silver amulet, amulet or, yeah again not all decks have those things anyway this card is extremely good yeah extremely good i i, I expect the foils to be uh high value when it comes to it uh, next up, we have a, an equipment that we didn't mention last time, but because, you know, we talked about allies and just we tribal stuff in general, Stoneforge Masterwork. It's a one-drop equipment with equip two. An equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control that shares a creature type with it. So, you know, obviously this is good in a any tribal deck, sort of any, like, humans-only kind of deck, uh, goblins deck, and you want to just make one thing huge or whatever. It's okay. Why not just play Coat of Arms? Coat of Arms is true, but this can move around, and, you know, it's, if you're looking for... I'm sure there are good applications for this, but it, but it bears mentioning just because, you know, tribal stuff is fun, and, you know, on a budget, I think this is equal to what you would want to do if you're trying to Voltron something out. I don't know. Maybe Voltron decks. Oh well, whatever. It might be playable. The next one is also a Stoneforge. It's Stoneforge Acolyte. It's one white for a one-two core artificer ally. Hey, it has cohort, so you can tap the Stoneforge Acolyte and an, an untapped ally you control. And then you look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an equipment card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So it is card draw mm-hmm. in white. It's specifically for an equipment. So those equipment decks like Nahiri and th- those type, what's the, uh, is it Kemba? Kemba, Car Regent. So there are some equipment decks, mono white decks. There are maybe some equipment decks in multiple colors. This is probably pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's nice. I mean, top four, putting them on the bottom of your library isn't the best. Uh, but, you know. It, tap it's, two it's, creatures, possibly draw a card. At least it's like you look at the top four. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, obviously, in the commander deck, the bigger the deck is, the the more variance there is in terms of drawing the card that you want. 
There's two Stoneforge cards, but no Stoneforge Mystic. You can get it at a Grand Prix. It, yeah, you, you need to because they're going crazy in price right now. I got two, and I was very excited because I love the new art on it, and it's a very powerful card. Uh, next up, we have Unity of Purpose. Three in the blue for an instant support two. Put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Uh, by the way, guys, I have a Marchesa deck, and the reason Marchesa isn't as broken as she could be is because you don't get the ability to instant speed put plus one, plus one counters on creatures. And Unity of Purpose also says untap each creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. My, that deck plays Fate Stitcher. That deck plays lots of tap ability creatures. So... I like this card uh, because it's an, it's an ability that is usually reserved for green and white. And uh, Grixis now has another option. Yeah, it's interesting because I added green and went with five-color Marchesa just so I could get that type of effect. Mm-hmm. So to have... I don't know if one of that effect really tips the scales much. I mean, obviously, you put it into Marchesa. But if it, that happens a couple more times, then all of a sudden, I don't need to have a five-color Marchesa deck anymore. Yeah. I mean, I play Snapcaster Mage in that deck, too. So it's nice. I mean, it, it, for me, sometimes it's... Yeah, and you Mystical Tutor will get it and, yeah. and things like that. You don't have haste on the creature, and they can't get that plus one, plus one counter. It's a really valuable thing. And if someone board wipes, this could be a nice way to, to get them. Also, uh, if you want to use this, you can probably like untap a... a uh, uh, a fade stitcher and then use that to untap a guild of lotus and just do some craziness who knows who knows who that, knows that is universe universe sorry that is unity of purpose um we also have a essence depleter so we usually talk about uh infinite mana combos and stuff and i found that anytime it's like i have infinite mana I have literal nothing to do with it. <laughs> this is one of those ways that you can just do something with it. Even if it's not infinite man, this is still a pretty powerful ability for the price. Uh, it's two and a black for a 2-3 Eldrazi drone has devoid. You pay one and a colorless or one and a diamond and target opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Right. The diamond represents colorless mana. So, I mean, if you have a mana sink for this or a way to achieve infinite mana, mana echoes plus essence depleter means a lot of people are not going to be alive. All right, next up, Immobilizer Eldrazi. Uh, this is one in a red. It's devoid for a 2-1 and for two in a colorless. Each creature with toughness greater than its power can't block this turn. It's interesting. It's not a card you would normally see in Commander, I don't think, but I could see where this is a effective card for some deck out there. And if you guys can think of something, please let us know. Yeah, I just think there's a whole lot of falter effects out there. I don't know if this is one of the better ones it feels like if you want notably if you, you can want do the, it for other opponents so it may mess some stuff up um you may have to uh political political use some political strats to make sure that you just don't get attacked when you activate this thing but i could see someone swinging like all right here comes my commander can you block and you're like nope <laughs> you can't all right uh next up storm chaser mage this i'm actually uh, pretty excited about it's the what? What should we call this? This is a monastery air spear. It's exactly what it is. This card seems extremely powerful for standard. Yeah. Um. It's a blue and a red for a one three with flying and haste. It's a human wizard and it has prowess. Yeah. That's... So it's a two mana one three flyer with haste is already awesome, and then it has prowess. Yeah. It's hard to remove. Uh, one three in limited. I feel like this in standard limited. Um, limited not so much maybe, but I feel like standard and. I think it's gonna be really good in, in potentially modern. I think there could be some decks that that use this well. Um, it's definitely efficient enough. I think in limited it's actually very very good. Just because yeah. a one three for flyer for two is good. Usually those cost yeah. three. Um, 
And it could just pump up every now and then. So Well, it's very hard to block, and you don't always want it to act, attack into it if they have open mana and any cards in their hand. Yep. Uh, for Commander, I'm not really sure. No, I, I don't think it's a Commander card, but I did want to bear mentioning because I think this is, again, a card that we'll see. You will see a lot of the Storm Chaser Mage, I think, in various formats, at least at the very least people trying to do stuff with it. Uh, last but not least, we have Weapons Trainer. Uh, it's Boros, mm, our favorite. Red and a white for a 3-2 creature human soldier ally. Uh, other creatures you control get plus one plus zero as long as you control an equipment so nice anthem effect for a very low requirement and uh you know these the kinds of decks that would want this would want this effect yeah this one's a little bit weird because usually if you have a deck with a lot of equipment then you don't have a lot of creatures Mm -hmm. because the equipment's taking up creature slots in your deck so it really will give only a creature or two plus one plus zero. I don't know. I, I can see it looking good on the surface, but when you actually play it, you're like, wait, I'm just trying to make one dude big. So <laughs> why don't I just have a card that gives that one thing plus four plus four? I'm all about that Boros Swarm, you know what I mean? Or but then I guess, you don't have uh, a lot of equipment because you can't <laughs> equip up, you know, 20 different dudes. That's true. Unless you have, uh, unless you're running that other equipment. We talked about the... Uh, uh, Stone Forge Masterwork <laughs> and the Weapons Trainer. We did it, boys. All right, <laughs> let's talk about a couple of combos actually that now exist in Standard that I thought are really interesting. Uh, Oath. I saw this one on Reddit. Oath of Gideon. So it is the enchantment that. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It is the uh, it's a legendary. Yeah, enchantment. it's a legendary enchantment. Yeah, when it comes in the battlefield, you put two one one white core ally tokens on the battlefield, and then each planeswalker you control enters the battlefield with an additional loyalty counter on it. You can play this on turn three. Play Gideon on turn four, immediately ultimate him, get you an anthem that gives every creature plus one, plus one, and Gideon still lives with one loyalty left. Then on turn five, you can use our favorite Eldrazi Displacer. So what you do is you turn Gideon into a 5-5 indestructible fighter. He attacks, and after damage is assigned, in response to that, you use the Eldrazi Displacer to flicker him because you'll have hopefully enough mana by then. Mm-hmm. And then you can flicker the creature of Gideon. He comes back onto the battlefield as a loyalty five Gideon. You can ultimate him again, get two anthems, and give all your creatures plus two, plus two. Seems pretty good. Yeah. Seems, yeah, seems pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's Magical Christmas Land a little bit. But... I think Oath of Gideon into Gideon uh, Planeswalker is something we're going to see quite a bit. It yeah, feels that, like that is insane the synergy there is really good. Um this next one, infinite. There's an infinite combo in standard again. Yeah. Um, this one's pretty simple. Zulaport Cutthroat, Brood Monitor, and Eldrazi Displacer. Turns so, out that Eldrazi Displacer. The Displacer is, I think, <laughs> probably the single things. best card it, for Commander. Yeah. In the set, so Brood Monitor make is a three three that makes three spawn tokens when it comes yep. to play. It's four green green. Yeah. So Zulaport Cutthroat. Whenever a creature you control dies, your opponent loses one life, you gain one life. So Eldrazi Displacer, what's it do? It costs three mana to flicker something. Well, where do you get three mana? You sacrifice three Eldrazi spawn. You flicker the Brood Monitor. It comes back in. You make three more spawn tokens. What do you do? You sacrifice them. and You get the mana to flicker the... Or sorry, blink the the Brood Monitor. And every time you do it, you're doing three damage to your opponent and gaining three life because Zulaport Cutthroat's out. That seems pretty freaking great. Yeah, and and Zulaport Cutthroat is a card that people are playing, and and Eldrazi Displacer is definitely a card that can be played in, I think, almost any deck that can cast it. It's going to be difficult to pull off because they're creatures. Mm-hmm. So there's gonna you're going to have to have three creatures in play, and before they remove one of them, you know, yeah. if they remove any piece of that combo, then 
you're kind of like stuck in the water. Yeah, not to mention Broodmonger is a six drop, so maybe a little tough, but it is an infinite combo. Uh, I could see uh, the, what is it called? It's called Hallowed something, uh, but it's a one in a white instant that prevents any time a creature would enter the battlefield this turn and it wasn't cast, it gets exiled instead or something, and then you can draw a card. Right, is that in standard right now? Yeah, because oh. it is. It was in uh, Origins, so I could see that card. I put it in my uh, my sideboard for GP Oakland. Look at you! Look at me! All I right, played so. in a GP got uh, Stoneforge Mystic. That's a pretty good. That's good value. Right that there. is good value. Yeah, so I traveled up to Oakland, met a lot of EDH uh, uh, aficionados, listeners of the show. It was great to meet you guys and play a couple of games. Everyone's asking where you were at, Josh. I, I wasn't there, unfortunately. Yeah, but I next wanted time, to GPLA. We'll definitely, I think, both be there. Yeah, a good one. Uh, we have no excuse to miss GPLA. <laughs> yeah, it's literally right next door. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to our second topic of the night: proxies, counterfeits, and usage in Commander. So recently, a giant controversy has erupted giant. online. Giant. We're talking almost like nine out of ten posts on the front page of the Magic Reddit are about this. Um, a store received an email from from Wizards regarding proxied events. Now to sort of talk about this before we talk, read the sort of in general what wizard said we don't know why they received the letter we don't know what kind of events the store is running in order to receive the letter we just know that they've been corresponding with wizard so uh they said essentially thank you for speaking with us um as we discussed we received information concerning some questionable or undesirable activity that occurred at your store and we understand many of these issues stems from misconceptions or miscommunication so they summarize that magic events can only allow genuine magic the gathering cards Proxy and substitute cards are created by judges in tournaments uh, in order to, you know, when a card becomes unplayable. And so they're like, okay, you can use this proxy because you have the real card. Counterfeit cards are copies or reproductions of actual Wizards trading cards, whether or not they are identified as non-genuine. And the creation of distribution of these counterfeits violates state law and international copyright laws and negatively affects Wizards. Counterfeits are strictly prohibited even for personal non-commercial use. Okay, so there was a lot of words there. What they basically said is they defined what they, what or they sort of said what they define a proxy versus a counterfeit is. So a proxy is only in a sanctioned tournament when a judge does it because your cards got scuffed up or or there's some Something other reason. Happened, yeah. Anything else is a counterfeit. So writing with a sharpie onto an island, if you just write like Birds of Paradise on that island and then play it, you know like that and you've just made a little sharpie forest symbol on it you know so to that's a that's a counterfeit to them that's not a proxy right and apparently the creation of these counterfeits violates united states and international copyright laws so there are a lot of people drawing on cards and saying like look i broke the law uh and it was just a card that had another name on it it's one of these funny things where people are up in arms but if you really think about life you come across this type of thing all the time Mm -hmm. so a good example is like your once a week or once a month poker game with your buddies that's illegal yep you can't you you can't, can't gamble yeah you can't gamble for money um but it's just the type of thing that's unenforceable right but if a store was a proprietor of a business was doing it then they'll come in and bust up your you know your business but uh five guys at home drinking beers and playing like you know twenty dollar buy-in hold them the the cops aren't going to bang down your door but you are breaking the law but that's technically illegal interesting yeah it's dissimilar with like music Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure you've like when you cover songs and things like that that's technically breaking the law it's technically infringing on intellectual property yeah they're not going to break down your door for it, 
But if you released an album, <laughs> yeah, but if you recorded it, yeah. put it online, tried to sell it, now they'll come after you. See, there's usually this sort of unwritten rule with a lot of these laws, which is like, uh, if you sort of go out there and you try and make a business out of it, then we have to stop you. Correct. So people are sort of freaking out for what I would say is very sm- it's really not going to affect you that much. Mm-hmm. Now, the main reason I think a lot of people were affected and angry is that a lot of stores offer vintage and legacy events. However, they have sort of a standing rule, and it depends on the store. That like, look, you can you can proxy up to five cards or ten cards in your deck because you know it's like not everyone's going to be able to own four Black Lotuses to play mm-hmm. in this vintage event, uh, and so that is sort of the what's been happening. Uh, I don't know how often it happens. I don't really know how big the vintage legacy scene is. Um, and Trick it Jarrett... It can't be that big. It can't be that big, no. Uh, Trick Jarrett uh, post, posted on Reddit basically to clarify this, and people got even more upset. Oh, Trick. I feel like every <laughs> time he tries to clarify... Oh, it's so tough for It's him. like he just lit the the fuse on a bigger bomb. It's a tough position to be in, I believe. Uh, and I sympathize greatly with anyone that has to deal with essentially... An, unnumber- num- an innumerable amount of people all holding up torches and pitchforks. Right. Ready to literally... Pick apart everything Pick apart saying. anything, yeah. yeah. And every little detail. Uh, I, As someone that's made content online for a long time and has people commenting like, oh, you can see that there's one wine glass here that wasn't in the next shot and it has like 50 votes, uh, thumbs up on, on YouTube and other people <laughs> commenting about it. You want to just tear your hair out. <laughs> so I understand where Trick's coming from. So I sympathize with that. Um, this is interesting. Uh, I, you know... It's true. You are technically counterfeiting something that, and it's and in Trick said, I know that feels crazy that we regard marker on a card as counterfeit, but remove the visual accuracy accuracy from the judgment. They serve identical purposes when it comes to gameplay, and that that is true. They both act as the card when you are playing, but it's really tough. I feel like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes here, and Wizards, um, it's tough. They're in a really tough position. They don't have apparently a dedicated PR team to really release the correct statements all the time. And it's so much work. And it's also like this game has been out for what, 20 plus years. Think about how many other stones are unturned that are just waiting for one email to get leaked to the public for that thing to open up. And then all of a sudden there's a huge kerfuffle about it. The, the dedicated PR team thing, which comes up a lot on the Reddit that, and a lot Mm -hmm. of people say it's funny to me because dedicated PR teams mess up all the time. Yeah. So just, because they don't have that, or if they had that, doesn't mean that they would be like perfect in all their wording of everything and no one would ever complain about anything that they ever said and it would always be clear. That's just not how the life or the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to think about it in broad terms of what do you expect wizards to say to this? How are they supposed to answer it that makes any sense? Are they supposed to say, hey, counterfeits and proxies are okay? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. They can never say that. Yeah, and if they say proxies are okay, then because of the definition, and you could, in a court of law, you could easily argue, like, oh, they said proxies are okay, so counterfeits are okay. They well, serve the same you, purpose. How, how do you do differentiate? How do you differentiate if you say, oh, well, this one has really good art, and this one's just marker on a card? It's like, okay, but then as we get closer to the middle of that, well, this one has, it's a black and white photocopy, so obviously, okay, this one's a color, but it's a photocopy. Okay, this one's a sticker that's on top of the card. Okay, th- like, where's the line? Mm-hmm. It gets really hard so they just have to take this stance. It, I don't know. I, as with most things, I don't understand what the huge controversy is about. I understand people are mad because now your store 
is going to be hesitant or they're just not going to be able to run events where they allow proxies. Right. Um, Helen Brajot specifically said this is strictly about stores running tournaments for profit. Right. So everybody else and most that's most of us commander players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about proxies because it's a fun topic. But this rule doesn't matter for us in yeah. general. Like if you're playing with your buddies at somebody's house or even at a store, but it's not in an organized event with like a prize structure... It doesn't apply to you. It doesn't matter. It's like playing mm-hmm. poker with your buddies at home. Yeah. It's like playing the cover of that song that you like. Yeah. You know, that's you're not crossing the line into somebody trying to make money off of it. It's tough. Um, and I think, you know, recently they also said at FNMs, we'd like to start hosting commander events, two other giant events. So there are going to be sanctioned events in a sense for commander and EDH. And I'm sure... Um, as it is a casual format, there is more proxying in our format in general because we want to test out stuff or we can't afford that guy as cradle, etc. So it's tough because that bridge between sort of us playing at home and playing at the store is getting closed and getting but closer it, a little bit. It feels like everybody's on board with the idea that like if I go to a GP, I can't have proxies in my mm-hmm. deck. Like I don't hear a lot of complaining about like, why can't I have proxies at the GP? So what's the difference? If you're going to play... For a prize at an organized event with you someone can't else's proxies. product, yeah, you can't have proxies. If you're going to play and something's on the line, you can't have proxies. Yeah, and that and that makes sense. Now, um, they again, it's not like you can't proxy anything. Like it's like you're no worries. You people break the law all the time. You go five miles over the speed limit, no cops going to pull you over, but you are are breaking the law. Yeah, I, I think, and this is the line they have to take. Because they can't have a whole bunch of gray area. It makes it hard for them down yeah. the road if they do try to litigate or something like that. You know, if they try to go after, like, people who are making, like, big counterfeit rings or something like that. But you and me at home, we're testing out a deck. I might want to use this card in it, but I'm not sure that it'll be good. So mm-hmm. in the meantime, I proxy it up in my deck, and everybody knows and everybody's fine with it. They're never going to come after that person. For one thing, I'm playing at home, and they'll never know. And the other reason is they don't really have any motivation. What's the upside for them of going after that person? Yeah, they absolutely don't want to. Yeah, yeah. But they and- can't word things in such a way that it closes the door on them being able to go after people who are literally like printing old-school dual lands. Yeah. They have to be able to go after those people because... Let's be honest, this game is about, a big chunk of it is about the value of the cards. It's a trading card game. It's a collectible card game. So it's Mm -hmm. about collecting. It's really propped up on, you know, a bunch of smoke and mirrors, really. Because just the value of the cardboard thing is not much. Mm -hmm. And so it's just artificial rarity. It's like the diamond trade, you know? Spoiler alert, everybody about out colorless there. colorless mana or... Yeah, spoiler alert, everybody <laughs> out there. Diamonds, like the real things that go on, they're not rare. Yeah. They're actually pretty common. There's tons of them. It's the De Beers Company and a few others actually carefully, carefully, carefully regulate the amount of diamonds that are allowed out into the world to artificially prop up the price. It's not that dissimilar from what Wizards is doing because there's no reason they couldn't print three Gideon Ally of Zendikars and two Jace Vrind Prodigies in every pack. It doesn't cost them any more to do that than it does to do what they do now. So it's artificial supply control. Mm -hmm. So they can't have people out there creating cards. It literally would destroy the game. Yeah. And, And see, if you're like, well, why don't they do that? Because the only reason the game exists is because they are able to 
generate enough revenue to pay people to design and develop the game. Mm-hmm. If if all that goes away, they can't continue to do that, and it would kill the game. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting spot here. Um, you know, I think just the fact that this was a private communication from an LGS with Wizards. Oh, this is definitely an LGS being like sort of pissy about it. Yeah, I mean, they posted it in such a public manner. And of course, you know, it's the sort of thing. It's like, had no one highlighted it, it would have just been, everything would have been still fine. And I think, you know, recently, there have been a lot of Chinese counterfeits that are getting dangerously close to passing as real. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of modern tournaments had players that didn't even know they had a counterfeit in there because it was came through a trade or even an LGS sold it not knowing. It happens all the time. You know, you can order stuff. I was talking to Prof about this, mm-hmm. and he was saying how, like, you can order stuff on TCG Player or even Card Kingdom or any place. I'm sorry. I shouldn't name names because it sounds like I'm any place, Channel Fireball, Star City, all of them, they don't always know because counterfeits are getting so good. And they slip through the cracks. Yeah. I mean, uh, some, of, some of the only ways to know are like dip the card in water. Yeah. Or tear it in half. Yeah. So it's yeah. like you're, you, if you bought an underground sea for $250, you ain't putting it in water or ripping it in half. <laughs> it is underground sea, so it's fitting, but don't do it. Please don't. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really tough. And also, like, Wizards is incentivized to go after these counterfeiters because they could potentially destroy the game that they have still built for all these years and so this is another reason that they have to take a hard line on this policy i feel like it's if they don't then you know what are they going to have in court when they go up against a chinese counterfeiter if they if they're able to if they're like oh well you let your players do this all the time so if they release statements saying like this is fine then how do they go after somebody yeah Yeah, i mean they still could because the copyright's a copyright yeah it uh, doesn't matter what some employee said, but at the same time, it would be an argu- more of an argument in court than it would otherwise be. It's it's definitely a sticky wicket. It's a tough uh, issue. I understand why players are kind of upset because yeah, me too. the game's ex- expensive, and it feels like, and I don't know if this is actually true, but it feels like it's getting more expensive, and it might just because lately there's been a big sort of microscope or magnifying glass on the finance part and all the increases in the prices of every card and everybody every day or every couple of days are like this card went up a hundred percent and this other card is doubled in value and blah 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 blah. and everyone's like and standards is the most expensive it's ever been and it's like the sky is always falling from the expense of the game perspective it feels like and i don't know if it's actually real because no one's there's no economist out there doing any sort of like large data Mm -hmm. you know i'd love to see it but I understand people saying, like, the game's so expensive, I just want to play it, you know, and not allowing me to have proxies makes it harder for me to play the game. But you have to look at it from Wizards' perspective, too, which is, like, if they can't generate revenue from making the game, then they can't make the game. Yep, not to mention they are also owned by a larger company now, and reporting revenue and being a successful part of that company is important for the literal life of the company. Right. They're owned by Hasbro. Um, Yeah, that is sort of the, the long and short of it. Uh, Wizards, you're in a, a tough situation. And I will say this to people that easily get upset and salty over these sort of things. There are better things in life to be worried about. And uh, I would I say know. that... Try not to get so so 99% of the people that are upset about it, you won't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have to change a single thing about the way they play Magic or have played it for the last couple of years. It'll be about the same. Now, it, the one thing is maybe LGSs are going to be more reticent to run tournaments like if they've been doing like a weekly event that allows let's say five proxies in the deck or whatever it is they it might be hard for an lgs to do that because now because of this controversy they're going to be a little more afraid and if you have like one customer that gets mad about whatever and reports you 
it could sort of screw you. So it might not be worth it anymore for the LGS to do it. And that's unfortunate. Um, but even then, I think that's just taking it so far out of where when Wizards had to respond, they're like, let's just turn the rock back over. We had a, a nice little semi-official statement. You guys just operate as normal. Just don't obscenely break the law and we'll be good. Thanks, yeah, it, everybody. Reading between the lines, Wizards is like, listen, can we just can everybody just do what they were doing before? Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Wizards is always put in this spot where it's the players bringing the issue to them, and they don't have the time to prepare. Like, hey, how should we deal with this? Yeah, okay, it's not let's... like they called a press conference and were like, hey, yeah. we just wanted to talk about proxies and counterfeits today. Just because. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, we're always bringing these crazy things up to Wizards and expecting a perfect response and one that, that fits what we expect from a company that owes us I don't know, I guess the their existence because we buy their game. But, like, we expect this, I think, over... Too, we expect a little too much. I mean, we're going to get into the next issue where I don't necessarily agree with Wizards mm-hmm. and, and how they acted. And so I'm not just... And they realize it, too. And I'm not just saying that Wizard. You know, sometimes I agree and sometimes I don't. When I generally agree is when they're making sound business decisions. And this feels like a decision that the Wizards as a business just has to make. I don't know if they can realistically say, yeah, proxies and counterfeits are cool. Yeah. It just, I think they just wouldn't be able to exist if they said that. Yep. And before we move on to the next topic, uh, proxies and counterfeits and commander, what are your opinions? People ask us about this all the time. Yeah, they do. We we usually give a pretty routine answer, which it's a, go for it. What do you think? Yeah, my answer is currently and has always been to me, and I have a different def- definition of proxy and counterfeit than Wizards does. To me, it's all about how long it's it's intended to stay in your deck. Mm-hmm. If you, quote unquote, proxy something in your deck with the intention of changing it out for the real card at a point when you decide that you've made a decision like, hey, it's good. Hey, I, I do want it in my deck. Then it's a proxy. Mm-hmm. If you put it into your deck and your thought is, and now I just have that card in that deck and I'm never going to replace it with the real card, then it's just a counterfeit. Yep. That's how I view it, and I'm fine with anybody using proxies, and then I might raise my eyebrow if that proxy's still in their deck six months from now. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with a proxy if it's also like, look, I own one guy's cradle, but I have three token decks. Uh, so I, if you want, I can go and take it out of this deck and put it into the other one, but otherwise I have a proxy. Is that okay? And I think it's also something that you need to discuss with your playgroup because if everyone shows up with their deck that they have spent time and money purchasing and putting together and someone shows up and their entire deck is proxies or like 50% of its proxies, you're going to have a lot of tension there. So it's something that you need to make sure is kosher with whoever you're playing with. But I'm, I'm on the same page. You proxy something if it's something 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 that maybe you can't find the card of or someone says they're going to trade it to you but they haven't gotten it to you yet you want to test it out in the deck see how it works but if it's just there and you're like all right it's good then no that's actually i'm glad you brought that up because i forgot about that uh there are people i know that do the thing where they own one copy of it and they proxy it into their other decks but they do own the one copy i'm generally okay with that in that case the proxies better look pretty damn good because part of the aesthetic of the game is that when I look out on the table, it looks like magic. So it can't be like handwritten on a card and it can't be like a black and white photocopy, which is putting you in a weird position if you're proxying because now you're getting in the realm of counterfeiting because you you would want it to look good because it's semi-permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's good to go. I don't, I don't know what the answer is there, but I, I am okay with it. But it's a little bit of a, a sticky wicket, if you will. There's a little bit of a lots of sticky dangerous, wickets tonight. You're walking on the edge there when you when you do that. Um, and I will say, 
I basically never use proxies myself. Mm-hmm. I don't. You're a baller, high rolling. I'm just kidding. No, it's not that. I just, you know, I understand the way that the business of this game needs to work. And mm-hmm. I'm the type of person, like, I have a friend who's the exact opposite of me. We both played Clash of Clans on our phones. He has never spent a cent on mm-hmm. Clash of Clans, and he's very proud of it. I played this game for free for blah, blah, blah. I actually purposefully spent money on it, even though I didn't need to, because I was like, at one point, I was like, well, I probably put like 30 hours worth of entertainment in this game in a couple of years. I owe it to the people that are making it to support them and throw a little bit of money their way, even though, you know, really, I'm fine with the way I'm playing for free, but... yeah. I want people to continue to make games like this. And if nobody gives them money ever, how does that work? How does the economics of that work? So, yeah. you know, that's You've why helped I'm them in- with a little bit of ad revenue, at least. Well, just now. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think Clash of Clans needs anyone no. hyping it up. There are many commercials for this game. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing fine, obviously. Yeah. But I have a moral thing inside of me that says, like, I need to support the game I like because otherwise, how do they keep making these type of games if there's no money in it? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put a lot of money into Habo Hotel because I didn't want to wait. And then I found out you can just set your, your clock on your phone to the, the hour you need. Yeah. And then that game was over for me. Yeah. I built like a 500 floor tower and was like, I'm never playing this again. And I feel awful. They were, I had a game like that. And you know what the most embarrassing thing about it was? Was that? That I didn't know that trick, but my 11-year-old niece figured <laughs> it out on her own and told me about it. I man, was kids like, are smart, man. They are way smarter than, than me, basically. Yeah. And I've never seen you proxy either. No, I mean I proxied a uh, like my standard deck, and the first thing I did when I got to GP Oakland was go to the vendors and show them a card with the name written on the back, and be like, "Do you have this?" And they're like, "Yes, we do." And I, that was just so you could build it. Yeah, so I could build it, uh, and I and for me it was also because I didn't have a text list for it. It was a really easy way for me to see. Oh, these are the cards I don't have in this deck, and I can count it up to sixty. Everything's fine. I know that as long as I switch these cards out, my deck is a hundred percent legal. Um, also, I might add that for the people that do replace one card and put it in multiple decks it's the exact same of, of how magic online works you can play that card in all your decks um, yeah so that's why i'm totally okay with it yeah i'm okay with it because you really should only you're just, you're you're actually doing me a favor yeah by not making me sit there while you switch all the cards out <laughs> so yeah if you're doing me a favor i'll usually you let you yep but if it's like a 10 cent card i might raise an eyebrow all right, on to our third mini topic. Uh, this one's called Learning Opportunities, and we're going to deal with the Oath of the Gatewatch leaks and judge suspensions. Late last year, there was a huge leak. leak, leak. <laughs> there was a huge leak for almost every sort of big card from Oath of the Gatewatch. We talked about this on the show because we had a whole show to talk about the leaks, including sort of the new expeditions. And uh, this may have inadvertently led to our podcast not getting a spoiler this year, uh, which is. You know, rest in pepperonis. Uh, but the origin of the leak was found by Wizards, and it was uh, that page was also responsible and had access to a lot of information for, I guess, apparently for uh, quite some time for other sets early as well. It was a private Facebook group, and in response, Wizards suspended every single person that was in the group. Uh, the people that were responsible for the leaks got the longest ban, and even those people that were just viewing them in the group got a uh, suspension as well. I think the host of the MTG Focus podcast i forget his name who was not in the group mm-hmm. but was the first person to tweet the kozilek or the waste or one of those um i think he got a two-year ban also Eesh. i don't know there's more to this story yeah um but a huge it was a giant controversy again uh well yeah before we get into sort of the the new part of the story in case you hadn't heard so all these judges got banned it's a dci banning 
which means they can't play in any tournaments, but you can't also be a judge. For three months. For three for... months. And it was in the southeast region of the U.S. It was basically like all their level three judges almost. Yeah. I think there was one left or something. Oh, and my then gosh. It, it it was a big thing because not only did it affect a whole bunch of people who may or may not have had anything to do, mm-hmm. like they were just in a Facebook group and somebody in that group had posted some cards and we don't know the width and breadth of it. We, the width and breadth of it. I like width. Yeah. Um, we don't know like for exactly how long it had been going on. Mm-hmm. We don't know for how many years and how many total cards or anything like that. Just Wizards released a statement saying that it had gone on for some, time. some amount of time, which take the, maybe it's twice. Maybe it's 57 times. We don't know. Um, but there were people in that Facebook group who may not have even logged on to Facebook yeah. for the last six months. Doesn't matter. They got banned. Um, one of the pieces of fallout from this was that the judges app web page and everything they took it down the the this this is where things got crazy yeah the the person that ran the website it was a a, a judge made website essentially for i think tournament organization and and that a- judge was not one of the banned judges but in sort of solidarity mm-hmm. with uh fellow His judges brethren yeah he took down that website and um, put up a statement saying basically that wizards has handled this wrong and they needed to do certain things and that he didn't like how it was handled. And that was sort of his protest. And a lot of people were up in arms about that. Um, And then it shed a whole huge light on the judge community itself. So there was this sort of weird domino effect that happened where like people were looking at judges and being like, wait a minute, how is it that a judge, like one person is basically in control of this whole thing this network how is that not wizards that's in control of it and then wait a minute judges don't work for wizards they don't um they aren't like employees and they don't sign ndas or anything with wizards they don't you know they're it's this the way the judge program works is extremely counterintuitive to how probably most of you think it does but it's very it's pretty separate Mm -hmm. um so that shined a big light on that and so that's where the controversy sort of was in late 2015. And now it sort of died down because of holidays and, you know, just things on the internet don't last very long. Yeah. And then we got a recent sort of update because what happened is all the judges went through the appeals process with Wizards. 10 out of the 12 that got yeah. the three-month uh, suspension. So they appealed the three-month suspension to see if they could get it reduced or reinvestigated uh, and then this is our update. Yeah, Learning Opportunities is an article by Elaine Chase. We'll link it in the show notes below. Uh, the, I mean, the main response after they got banned was, look, it's too severe, and we feel like you're being condescending towards our players, essentially. And Wizards, in this article, said that 10 out of 12 players submitted appeals, and they got commuted suspensions. So now it's down to 23 days from three months, so they are effectively unsuspended now. And no permanent record is going to be on their DCI. And it's a very nice article. I think it's the right step for Wizards here to recognize that they, uh, I think, over overstepped a little bit in terms of how severe they were with the the suspensions in general. Well, something we glossed over, actually, didn't, I just forgot to mention it. There was another facet to the whole story, which is when the leaks happened, there was a lot of rhetoric coming out of Wizards of the Coast from... Trick Jarrett, for one, and a number of Wizards employees talking about disproportionate response. Mm-hmm. They mentioned that phrasing a couple of times in a couple of different places, and they were obviously pissed 
The leaks came out. Wizards uh, yeah. was very obviously pissed off about the leaks. And they reacted poorly. They reacted they reacted badly. I mean I mean yeah. I understand in the heat of the moment yeah. they reacted. I understand it. I'm not giving them a full pass, but I'm saying like I get it. And again, we both work in intellectual property fields. I've worked on projects. I would be very upset as well. Where things were leaked. I've been in the position where you're really excited about something you're going to unveil to the world and a leak ruins it and also creates a ton of additional work for you. It sucks. It makes you really mad. But they reacted kind of like a two-year-old, you know, like screaming and like, like they, they, they did have a disproportionate response. I mean, they were true to their word. It's just that in the history of the world, disproportionate responses are not, they don't work out how you want them to. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. I think there's this sort of under undercurrent of tension between players and wizards basically saying like you as a company don't understand what we as a player sort of our needs and the way that you guys address stuff feels like you're either being condescending or you're talking down to us or you're, or you're putting it in a way that it feels like you're saying that we owe you more than you owe us kind of thing. And I think this and also the what we just talked about in our second topic, it all has been sort of contributing toward this toward this sort of rising miasma, to use a card, of, uh, of, of just sort of not fun happiness but from this, everyone. And this is just historically how disproportionate responses go. Yeah. I don't care if you're the British Empire and you've got control of Ireland, if it's the civil rights movement in the United States, if it's Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Disproportionate response never works. It always escalates the situation. It never de-escalates. That's just history has taught us that. And I don't blame wizards for reacting that way. They're not the first. Like I said, I just mentioned the United States government twice doing it. They still (laughs) haven't learned their lesson. Uh, It's not, they're not going to be the last ones to try it. Yep. There's a great West Wing episode about the disproportionate response. Oh, really? Uh, We'll put the links in the show notes. And it's I just kept thinking of it over and over and over because in that episode, Martin Sheen's the president and he learns the disproportionate response doesn't work at uh, lesson in that episode. And it's Leo McGarry, played by John Spencer, the late great, um, that sort of explains it to him. I can't do it justice. Click on the link. Watch it. It's pretty great. Yeah, definitely very good. So uh, some notes is a good step from Wizards. Uh, thankfully, they they I think they recognized the disproportionate response and they recognize what they need to do about it. Uh, and that is a good positive step because yes, we are dealing with a human company with humans inside it. I think the general, in general, the company is way more complicated than we give it credit for. Um, this is a big company. It's not just like 10 dudes in a room. It's filled with many different sections, many different people of ages, genders, and, uh, experience levels. It's not as cut and dry. I think as a lot of our online commentators sort of believe it to be. So it's interesting. I don't know how it works. We, no one knows how the machine churns or what kind of meetings are held when these sort of things happen. I don't think we're going to change how we handle leaks in the future. If a leak comes out and it's public knowledge, we know that it is 100% okay to talk about it uh, as long as we're not the person spreading it from the original private source of wherever it came from. That it's, will result in a big ban. It's interesting because in Trick's article when he talked about leaks, he stated that one of the downsides, the big downsides of leaks was that it doesn't go out on sort of the wide normal network that a spoiler would get pushed out onto. Mm-hmm. A leak is by nature sort of, you know, slightly secretive and therefore only a few people learn about it. And so those people have an advantage over the people who don't learn about it. So it's almost incumbent upon once something's leaked, 
does that mean that we're supposed to spread it around as much as possible so that it does get I don't know. Yeah. It feels like to your point earlier, like if that we talked about the leaks in an episode, and if that's a reason that we didn't get a spoiler card for this set, then so be it. I don't know what we're supposed to do about it. Like be a little bummed. If we're off the spoiler train, we're off the spoiler train. I'm not gonna, you know, we spend a couple hours a week advertising the product for Wizards. If they're gonna get mad because we talked about some cards that everybody knew about, right? You know, uh, what can we do about it? Like, I mean, we're not gonna not talk about stuff that everybody that's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Yep, and they clarified that that you know, once something is out there and people know about it, then you are, you know, you have every right to talk about it. Just don't be the person originating it. Well, there's one other thing in there that everybody should know about. And I don't know. I'm not sure exactly how this is supposed to work. But Mm -hmm. they sort of, in the article, encouraged you, if you find out about a leak in a private manner. So that's sort of loosely defined as like an email or a private group of some kind. Something Mm -hmm. that's not a public forum. If you see a card... And you have reason to believe that it's real. And you, what they want you to do in that instance is do some research. See if it's out there someplace else. If, if it's it not, they want you to let them know. Yeah, help them out. Help them out. There's an email address at the bottom of the article. Um, they hope that you can help when you encounter it. Uh, and part of it, they said, it's like, you know, there, it is, you know, if you want to be a good Samaritan and, you know, help help add respect to the work that's put into it for the content producers that may leak it. I mean, that may uh, sort of, that may spoil it. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, I, it's, it's a little crazy. Uh, I'm trying to think of analogies in my head. It's sort of like, it's an appeal for the good Samaritans of our society. Sort of. It also said there was some wording saying that like, basically saying that if you didn't do that, they're not necessarily promising they wouldn't come after you. It's not that they would. It's sort of similar to the proxy thing. Yeah. But, you know... I, people, I, I mean, they, Elaine kind of addressed that, that people were scared. Uh, some people mentioned that they were afraid um, that if, you know, something came across them that they would be just banned, kind of like the judges were just for encountering it. And it's interesting. I think they, they don't want you to have that fear. They just want to encourage you. But they did not say that that would absolutely never happen again. Right. And of course they can't say, you know, they can't yeah. ever give absolutes, but they are just, they're appealing to you, the player. Um, she said, I want to make it clear. No one has been, or will be suspended for looking at or sharing information that has been leaked publicly online. Note though, that there is a huge difference between viewing or reposting already publicly viewable and known information, which is okay. And sharing information that you receive in a private venue. So sharing, I think is the big one. If you take that and you give it to someone else, you are immediately putting yourself in the hot seat. Yeah. Before you share it, you should be damn sure that you're not like the person that's unveiling it to the world. Unless wizard says specifically said, you're the person unveiling it to the world. Yeah, I I think it Tough is spot. it is scary. Yeah, Tough it's spot. It's a little bit scary, and, and the way they handled it exacerbated it. Yeah, because if they hadn't gone so hard after a bunch of judges who, at least a, a quite a number of them, it seems had nothing to do with it, were just a member of a group where it mm-hmm. happened to get posted. And it's like you were at a party, and you were maybe even in a different room, but somebody was paying was playing on the TV in the living room a pirated copy of the new Star Wars movie. Right, and you walked in and you got a glimpse of it, or maybe you just heard it, maybe you didn't even see it. 
but you still got arrested by the cops. Even though, yeah, who knows? There's various levels of your involvement with that. Definitely the guy or the girl who downloaded it or whatever is breaking the law. I don't know that the person in two rooms over, you know, yeah, who's talking with his friends and having a beer, I don't know that that person broke the law, but it felt like everybody got punished. Yeah, and Wizards went back on it. They uh, they ate their own words there a little bit, and they released this article to talk about they that. They did the right so thing. They did the right thing. You know, and that's the thing I will say in their favor is, like, the, I think with a little bit... They counted to 10. Yeah. You know, like any good two-year-old should. <laughs> and they decided, you know what? Maybe I overreacted. Maybe I threw a little bit of a temper tantrum, and maybe, you know... And that, it was big of them, because it's hard to do that. It's hard to sort of do something wrong and then write it. So I'm glad they did. Yep. And at the end of the day, I still love this game, and I still love the cards and all this stuff. And please still give us more spoilers. Please, oh God, yeah. please. But we, if we're going to ruin that by saying our opinion, then we're going to ruin it. Like, yeah. That's just the way it goes. I think our opinion is pretty safe in general. I don't know. I get yelled at a lot. I think Kanye West is the best rapper alive. Uh, okay. Okay, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Section five. To the listeners. Uh, so we asked you guys some questions last week. Thank you for tweeting them in. Uh, we got some questions for you this week. How did your pre-release go? Did you guys get anything sweet? Any sweet polls? Any like four hedron alignments? Oh gosh! If someone posts that they won with a hedron alignment on limited pre-release weekend, I will be. I'll have you on as a guest of the show. Yeah, absolutely. We will bring you on immediately to to recount the story. But it better be true. <laughs> I don't know how we can cross-check it. I don't know. Uh, take some pictures. All right. Uh, what does your playgroup do in regards to proxies? Let us know if you guys have any sort of different uh, strategies or different just sort of ideas of what you think is okay and not okay. It'd be interesting to see what everyone around the world does because, again, this is a very diverse game in a lot of different areas of the world. So I would love to see if there's something different in another country, for example, or even state. All right. Time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Guys, Rocket Jump, the show, has released the final episode on Hulu. Uh, These are eight videos, eight short films that are all hilarious, awesome, and different, and crazy and wild in different ways. You can watch the videos, the shorts themselves, on YouTube at youtube.com slash rocketjump. The final episode will come out on YouTube tomorrow. Uh, That's Wednesday, and it is... I think it's one of my favorites of the whole thing. It's called Tip Jar. It is a... Throwback to Charlie Chaplin. It's an old silent film, black and white. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, If you want to watch the really cool behind the scenes and the making of process and how you exactly put something like this together, you can sub to Hulu and it'll all be there. The latest one was Keep Off the Grass, right? Yeah, and that one is, I, I love that one too. It's Freddie it, and Clint just fighting. But they're like flying through the air and stuff. It's It gets pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, it's the closest we've ever gone to Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. The whole show is really, really good. It's getting really uh, really good reviews. As I've said many times, if you have not checked it out, you, you're... You're crazy. You You're crazy. You got to check it out. All the links are below. Um, also, you guys may have noticed on our videos, there's a brand new intro. Many thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at oh, Living man, Cards so MTG. Sick. Yeah, this is it's the coolest. It's the soul ring, the double soul ring from the old to the classic, the classic to the old. It's the command zone. There's the O in the command zone. Oh, my gosh. If you only listen to the show and you don't watch it, just go to YouTube and just watch the first 15 seconds yeah, that's of it. the episode. You don't have to watch the whole thing. But the Soul Ring animation is really, really sweet. It is awesome. Yeah. It 
it just took our show to the next level. So we cannot thank Jeffrey enough for providing this awesome animation to us. Uh, he just did it on his own was the amazing thing. Like he was yeah. just like, hey, guys, I want to give you a Christmas present. And we were like, what? What? Best uh, Christmas present ever. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So that was really great. All right. Cleanup step. Our sister podcast is the Masters of Modern. You can find them at the MM Cast. Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. They've been doing big, cool things every single week talking about modern. The format is so exciting. There's lots of really cool stuff going on right now. And they talk about everything from deck techs to price spikes to what's happening at Grand Prix to any new developments. You can find them at rocketjump.com slash the MMCast or on Twitter at, at the MMCast. Our editor is Terry Robertson, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG. Yeah, and Terry has been killing it with the editing on the videos. There's lots of little sort of Easter eggs in there now and lots of little fun little bits. So make sure you guys check out the videos if you haven't. They are some next-level stuff. Don't forget to review us on iTunes. Yes, thank you guys so much. Also, if you have not gotten your prizes and you're one of the winners before the holidays, let us know. Please email us. They should be in your uh, mailboxes very soon. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> the Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.